That's what it's all about. And like I've said before, uh, Christianity was never intended to be a spectator sport. We've never been called to just sit and watch other people do ministry. It's actually something we're all called to be a part of. Just not everybody does it. Not everybody does what they're called to do or how they're wired to be. So it's, it's frustrating, I'm sure, for the Lord. We started a series a couple weeks ago can, called Can You Back It Up? And what uh, Tegan just shared with us really does go along with uh, what we're going to be talking about today. We talked about two weeks ago that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the theme was love God, love the Lord. And last week we talked about trusting the Lord with all that you are and all that you have, even when you can't see the end result that you trust him anyway and just give him the benefit of the doubt. Today we're going to talk about a topic that I've never talked about in 27 years of ministry. I've never done a sermon on this topic before, which is odd, probably because of the, uh, the, the Southern Baptist upbringing that I got in the particular church I was at, that there was like a, well, as I'll talk about, there's, there's a good side and a bad side to this topic, and I didn't always get the good side. What we're going to be talking about today is fear of the Lord. Fear the Lord is the phrase. And I remembered when I first, when God first started talking to me about this topic, fear of the Lord, uh, I remembered the verse in Proverbs 1 7 that said uh, something to the effect of fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. So if you think about that, fear of the Lord is the, the beginning of knowledge. And, and so now, in essence, if we are a church, and I know this sounds a little bit harsh, but I don't mean it to sound harsh unless it steps on your toes and it's effective, and in that case, I meant it. Um, but uh, if fear is the beginning of knowledge, and we are a people today that don't have an adequate amount of fear of the Lord or a healthy fear of the Lord, doesn't that imply that the church is filled with ignorant people? If we don't have a healthy fear of the Lord, aren't we kind of dumb? And, and that's really the crazy thing is, so when I started digging into this, I, I found there are 300 Bible verses that pertain to the concept fear of the Lord. And in, in actuality, we are commanded by God to have a fear of the Lord. Did you ever think about that? Have you ever... Have you ever heard any pastor do a sermon on fear of the Lord? I don't know why I've never done it. It's not that I was trying to avoid it, I don't think. It's just I guess I always thought there were other topics more important. But the fact is, and this is what God's impressing upon me, is that we live in a culture that are ignorant of the Lord and and the 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 preeminence of God and the, the majesty of God and the holiness of God and the purity and and all that he represents and all that he is We really don't have a very healthy understanding of that. If we did, we would live our lives differently. Um, I can tell you all kinds of stories that kind of fuel this for me, this topic. Um, One of them is this. You know, all three of our kids are different. They're wired differently. They respond to different stimulus differently. They discipline differently. Jordan was very unique. Uh, Abigail, she was unique also in the fact that uh, you would spank her and you would give her your best and she'd look at you and say, is that all you got? 
Have you all, who's had a child like that? Has anybody? Okay. Katie Joe was that child, right? (laughs) (laughs) So there are some kids, you discipline them and they're like, "Uh, no big deal, right? Um, Jordan was one that if you just looked at her wrong, she would just melt in your presence. And if you said, Jordan, I am so upset with you, she would just bawl crying, right? And I always wondered, why was that? What was it? Was she that timid? Was she that soft? And, and I don't know, but when I, when I study this, I have to think that maybe because she just had a fear of disappointing me, that that, that, is, that alone was discipline for her, just knowing that she let me down. I can relate to that in the fact that you you know my past, you know my 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 life, and and I've done some things I'm not particularly proud of, but they're things that I've done and things I take ownership of, and and I've I've told you about my relationship with Herb McComas, my mentoring pastor for so many years, uh, man I I love so much, and he he just kept pouring himself into me and teaching me and training me. And he would always give me these stern warnings. Be careful, you don't ever do this. Don't ever do this, and don't ever do this. And the thing is, I know without any doubt, Herb loved me to death. And, and fortunately or unfortunately, it's up for your discretion to decide, but he had passed a, a little bit of time before I got myself into a lot of trouble. And I remember shortly after doing that and then processing the damage that I had created and the people I would heard, I, I remember reflecting on that personally thinking, if, if Herb knew what I did, he would have been so disappointed with me. And that right there um, was huge in my discovery process. I really believe that if people today had a healthy fear of the Lord and really respected him for who he is and revered him for what he represents, I don't think they would sin so openly. And I've got lots of verses here I want to share with you on this. But first I want to start with this this phrase or with this concept that fear of God is actually commanded by God. In Deuteronomy 10.12 it says, And now, O Israel... What does the Lord your God ask of you? He asks you four things of you. These all four tie together, and it ties in what Tegan just shared with us. The first one is this, to fear the Lord your God. That's the first thing that the Lord asks of us. Fear the Lord our God. Secondly, to walk in all of his ways. That means to shun evil, to avoid sin to all cost. And to live a life that's worthy of the calling and the redemption that Jesus gave us. To live a life that pleases and honors him and is in complete and total total contrast to the ways of the world. He asks us to walk in all of his ways. The third one, which we talked about in week one, is to love him. He wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Very important. And the fourth one is to serve the Lord. With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you put it all together. What does the Lord command us? What does he ask of us? He wants us to be in reverential fear of him. He wants us to walk in his ways as a result of that fear. He wants us to love him. Because even in the midst of this type of fear, he is approachable and loving as a heavenly father should be. And he wants us to serve him. He wants us to do things for him. 
because here's the bottom line. And we're going to talk about this verse a little bit later. But Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, I believe he said, do not fear man who has the ability to take your physical life from you, but rather fear the one who can take both your body and your soul. That's the one you should fear. You see, we're, we're in a culture where we fear men. We fear each other. We fear what other people think. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. But, but we do it anyway. And what we do is we, we impose upon those people knowing or sometimes just guessing at what their opinion of us is. And with that, we, we put a stipulation on that, uh, that judgment, which also includes condemnation. In other words, if I feel like Nancy doesn't like me because I said something wrong, then I'm going to think to myself, Nancy hates me, and as a result, she doesn't want anything to do with me. She's judging me and condemning me all at the same time. But what Jesus would say is don't be afraid of people and their opinions because most of the time those opinions are aired and they're not actual. They're just imposed. Because we think to ourselves, if I was that person, that's what I would do to me. Or that's what I would think. But, and so this is what we do. We go around in this world and we, we, we know that people don't like us. And people don't like some of the things we do. And we do things sometimes to hurt them. And so we know that they're judging us because of our Christian faith. But then we add on to it an element of condemnation. In other words, a, a punishment that they ascribe to us because... They don't like us or what we have done. But God is the only one who has the ability to do both. He's the only one that has the calling and the ability to judge with complete and total accuracy as to the condition of your heart. And when he assesses a discipline to that, we know that he's holy, righteous, and just. And his discipline is perfect for the situation. He doesn't judge people differently according to... uh, the makeup of their skin or the amount of money they put in the offering plate or how many times they go to church. He disciplines correctly because his judgment is correct. And and so we have to see God as this. We have to understand that because he knows our heart totally, perfectly well, he knows when our apology is sincere and when it's fake. He knows when our repentance is genuine. He knows when we're going to do it again. He knows that when we lie to him and say, God, I'm going to go to church tomorrow. But we know that we're not going to go. He knows that. And so he he separates that. He separates our initiative from reality, from our our best wishes to, to what we actually do. He's so perfect in this because of his holiness. In Joshua 24, 14. It says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all your faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So again, if we highlight the things that he's commanding, fear the Lord, serve him, throw away your other gods, your idols, and serve the Lord. All of this is justified because of our reverential fear of him. Because we don't want to let him down. We don't want to face his judgment because his judgment will not be pleasant. And so here's the other part of this. 
God knows everything about you. He knows every thought you've ever had, every thought that you didn't want him to know about. He knows them. He knows every inclination of your heart to do good or to do evil. He knows that about you. And because he knows that, his judgment is going to be based on the actual truth that's going on in your heart. Now, you all can pull the wool over my eyes almost every day. But remember, it takes an awful good thief to rob a thief, right? It takes an awful good liar to lie to a liar. I'm, I'm not as gullible as you may think I am because I've been there. I probably used the same excuses you have before. Uh, we've been there. So don't think you're getting over on us. Particularly, you're not getting over on God. He knows you perfectly well. In Deuteronomy 6.24, the Lord commanded us, one, to observe all of his statutes, and two, to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord and obey his, his laws, decrees, statutes, all of this. Because of our fear of the Lord, we are going to be committed to living a life that honors him. Not because it just might be a good idea for us and it might be advantageous, but because of that reverential fear that we have of God. And then in Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen it says this, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear the Lord, keep his commandments. So you're probably asking at this point, what does the word fear mean? Good question. I'm glad you asked. In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the word yer is used, which is translated to fear, to respect, or to reverence. So when you have a fear of the Lord, that's what it is. I have a fear of the Lord, a respect for him, an awe of him, and a reverence of him. And it's usually seen as a positive quality. There is a positive uh, fear and a negative fear. I'll show you that in a minute. Fear acknowledges God's good intentions. So again, we love the Lord with all of our heart. We trust him with all of our heart. And as a result, we have fear in him, a healthy fear, because we know what God's good intentions are based on our trust and our love. In Exodus 20, 20, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Moses makes it very clear. The reason we fear the Lord is because that fear will keep us from sinning. Just like it kept Jordan when she was little. She's not little anymore. But when she was little, she was afraid of, of hurting me. She was afraid of what I would say. So she avoided sin because she didn't want to let her dad down. And just like I didn't want to sin because I knew it would let Herb down, all of us should look at God and say, God, I don't want to let you down. I don't want your displeasure. I don't want you to have to discipline me. I want to live a life that, that you're pleased with, not displeased. In Proverbs 2, 1 and verses 5 through 6, it says, If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. 
again, based in the fear that we have for him. In the Greek, in the New Testament, the Greek word phobos is used, which we get the word phobia. Phobia is a fear of this or that, right? Um, It is called a reverential fear that we have. Now, this is where it gets really good. This is not a mere fear of his power or of his righteous retribution, but a wholesome dread of displeasing our God. This comes out of the Vines Expository Dictionary. This is their definition. So a wholesome dread of displeasing him. You know, I wish I could say that things don't bother me, but everything bothers me. When, when, uh, when somebody lies to me, it bothers me. It, I think it bothers Paige more than me. She's like, a, liar, a higher standard that I'm like used to it because I was a salesman. So I like expect people to lie to me, but she's like, no, no tolerance. There's no, there's no lie that I will tolerate, right? Uh, but that's true. Something about lying, it, 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 it hurts me. It hurts me because, because my comeback is, why would you have to lie to me? I'm a nobody. I'm just the pastor. You know, why can't you just be honest with me and tell me what you think? It's okay. You know, just be honest. Don't lie because I'll probably find out you lied. Like the time uh, uh, Henry uh, was supposed to help with the worship service in Kentucky, and uh, he didn't show up for church. And uh, so I talked to him later, and I said, where were you at? Oh, I'm sorry, man, I just overslept. Overslept in a jail cell because you were out drinking the night before, outran the police on your motorcycle, got arrested, and spent the night in jail. Don't lie to me. It was in the paper. You know, why? I don't understand it. But, but wouldn't it be nice if people just had a respect for you and just said, you know, out of respect, I'm not going to pull your leg. I'm just going to tell you the truth. I don't like your preaching, <laughs> you know. Love you, but I don't like the way you preach. You talk too long, whatever. But you don't have to lie about it. There is a negative fear and a positive fear. Here's an example of negative fear. This is where you fear punishment. And you don't have to fear punishment from me, so you don't need to lie to me. In Matthew 25, 25, Jesus had given, or Jesus told the story, a parable of uh, the master that gave a certain amount of talents to three of his employees. And when he returned, the the one person said to him, and you'll remember this, he said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And so I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And, and, and the master said, you wicked and lazy servant. Never out of fear of God should we do or not do something just because we're afraid of retribution or some kind of a reaction from God that we're not expecting. No, no. Never from God. He is the most loving body you will ever encounter in this world. You don't ever have to avoid God and be afraid of him in that manner. There are several examples of positive fear. This is the fear of displeasing God. Um, I I shared a couple of them with you. Uh, To go along with those stories, I have a couple verses. In 1 John 4, 18, it says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear 
because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So do you only go to church because you're afraid that God might discipline you? Are you afraid that if you don't go to church, somebody is going to say something derogatory to you? Or do you just go to church because you love it? Do you go because you have a reverential fear for the Lord and you love him and you want to spend time with him? In 1 Peter 1, 15 through 17, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges every man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverential fear. This is our passage for today. Because God is holy, we should ascribe to ourselves to also be holy. here's, Here's the problem that we have with this. Because God is so holy, because he is so perfectly pure, we do not have access to him. In Exodus 33, 20, Moses wanted to see the face of God, and God's like, sorry, pal, can't happen. No man can see my face and live, but I tell you what, we'll work out a deal. I'll shove you in the cleft of the rock, and as my glory passes behind you, you'll be able to see the, the tailwind of my glory. And Moses says, I'll take what I can get. And it was enough to radically change that man. But none of us can see his face and live. Moses was the closest. He talked to God as a man talks to another man, the scriptures say. But for us, there's a complete and total separation. We don't have access to God. And that's why Jesus had to come die on the cross to give us access. Just like Roger said in the, in the, a few minutes ago in the communion meditation, because of the lamb, the perfect lamb, we have access to God. We can come to him now and not be terrified of retribution. Now, we also know that even though we've been cleansed by the blood of the lamb, we've been baptized into the faith, baptized into this relationship, we know we're still going to make mistakes. But here's the problem. Here's the danger. When we willingly sin and willingly disregard the things of God, knowing that he will disapprove of this or that, but we're going to do it anyway because nobody's going to tell me what to do. Read the story of Adam and Eve. God told Eve, don't touch this tree. That is for me. I don't want you to know what this represents. Just stay away from it. And she's like, nobody's going to tell me I can't eat that fruit. So the devil talks into it. He undergirds uh, God's truth by confusion. And she eats the apple, and, and now she has been completely deceived. You don't want to be that way. You don't want to willingly push the limits with God. In Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, it says this. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated an unholy, as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who was insulted, who has insulted the Spirit of grace? You don't want to go about just willfully knowingly 
and blatantly disregardingly sin against the Lord. You just don't want to be there. We probably all have done it. But I'm telling you that if we have a healthy, reverential fear of who God is and what he's capable of doing, I, I assure you, you won't want to do those things. You will think twice and you will say, I, it's not worth the cost. I don't want to separate myself from God any further. I don't want to end up uh, surrounded by flames. I don't want to live a life that is contrary to his wishes for my life. I just want to live a life that honors him, glorifies him, and pleases him. He calls us to be holy because he's holy. And that's the only way we can interact with him. In closing, let me just throw a couple more verses out there to you. Isaiah 8.13 says, The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. In Matthew 10.28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And here are some promises. This is the good side of this. If you will just make a... a, the phrase in the, in, the, uh, in the actual, I think it's King James, is set your heart. You have to set your heart on the things that are godly, the things that are glorious, the things that are headed, will head you the right direction. So these are why you should set your heart on pleasing God by being reverentially fearful of him. In Psalm 31, 19, it says, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men and on those who take refuge in you. In Luke 150, it says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And in Acts 10.35, God accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And the very last verse I'm going to leave you with comes out of Acts 9.31. Because I think there is a direct correlation between the church today and this concept that I've just described to you over the last several minutes. In Acts 9.31, it says this, the church, it mentions several churches, but the church enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, and they lived, this is an ongoing verb, they constantly were living in the fear of the Lord. I believe a church that has a healthy fear of the Lord is a church that's not going to get messed up in sinful uh, attitudes, sinful behaviors, and all that kind of stuff, that nonsense. I believe a church who has a healthy, reverential fear of the Lord is a church that's going to worship till they can't worship anymore. And that's another thing. How can we, how can we dare sit during worship time on our hands and not sing and act like we're bored to death? We're talking about the God who created the universe, the God who breathed life into, the God who brought your spouse into you back when you liked them, the God who gave you the children before they started misbehaving, the God who puts food on your table. This God is the one that we worship today, and so many people stand and worship like, oh my gosh, would they please get on to the end of the sermon? You know, would they please quit? They're drying me up here. How can we be like that? How could we possibly be like that? When it comes to service, we're like, don't ask me for my time again. All right, I gave you an hour last summer, not again. 
I gave you an extra $10 for faith promises. Quit asking for money. Why do we act like that when we're talking about the God who has breathed life into us and who can revive us and sustain us and bless us? But if we would just have a healthy fear of the Lord, I really believe God would bless us abundantly. But we have to give up the willful sinning that we constantly embrace, that we constantly turn our backs to and overlook just so we don't make people comfortable. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do love you, but we need to back it up. We do trust you, but again, we need to back it up. And Father, perhaps we haven't really thought about having a healthy fear of you, but Lord, it's time that we started backing that up too. We repent of our sin with a genuine, passionate heart. We are truthfully sorry that we have offended you, that we have sinned against heaven and against you and against our family. We are sorry, Lord, that we haven't loved you with our whole heart. We're sorry for lying and, and making up excuses as to why we can't worship you the way you deserve or why we can't make it to church or why we can't give like you have blessed us. Father, we're genuinely sorry. We're going to quit this. We're going to start having a healthy fear of you because we don't want to disappoint you with our lives. And not only that, Lord, but the people that we witness to are not going to buy what we're selling if we're not completely sold out for Jesus. Lord, please forgive our sins, heal our wounds, heal our land. In Jesus we pray, amen.